listening to people and listening to their experiences and viewing different people and communities from an asset-based perspective. Welcome to The Lavender Lifestyle, the podcast on personal growth and lifestyle design. My name's Eileen, and I'm here to guide you to become a master artist of life. Every Sunday, you'll get new insight and inspiration on how to create your dream life. After the episode, the conversation continues in our Lavender Lifestyle Facebook group, so I can't wait to see you there. Life is an art. Make it your masterpiece. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Lavender Lifestyle. It's your host, Eileen. Today's episode touches on education and social justice. I'm so thrilled to have on our podcast, our guest, Liz Kleinrock. Liz Kleinrock is an anti-bias and anti-racist educator who works with both children and adults based in Los Angeles. She's best known for her lessons on teaching children about consent, as well as her TED Talk, How to Teach Kids to Talk About Taboo Topics. I actually stumbled upon Liz's Instagram account, Teach and Transform, a few months ago and I just thought her lessons that she was sharing with her kids were so interesting and so important. She was sharing lessons about gender equality, anti-racism, and consent and things like that. I think it's so cool to empower our youth and teach these really important topics that are so relevant today. So I'm just excited to have her on the podcast. So if you're a teacher or have kids in your life or you just want to learn how to be a less biased, better citizen of the world, listen on. Hi Liz, welcome to the Lavender Lifestyle. I am so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, I've actually been following your Instagram for a while and I just want to say I admire the work that you do. I think it's, it's just important what you do. Thank you so much. It means a lot when folks say it resonates with them. Yeah. So I want to ask, how did you develop this passion for social justice in the first place? What is your story? Uh, I think that my story has definitely evolved over the years. I can probably trace it back to attending a Quaker school growing up. I went to the same school from pre-kindergarten to 12th grade. And philanthropy was always something that was really important. But looking back on it now, I think a lot of it was based in more of a a savior complex and savior mentality. Like I'm going to go into under-resourced communities and and help them in the way that I think they need to be helped. But part of becoming a public school teacher and working in different communities, very, very different than the ones that I grew up in, made me realize that it's so much more about listening to people and listening to their experiences and viewing different people and communities from an asset-based perspective in order to help support them in the work that they're already doing. And because I grew up in such a privileged environment, recognizing that part of like social justice teaching is really about empowering students, about empowering adults to use their their voice and their power and their privilege to create a more equitable society for everybody. And this is the work that seems to also have resonated the strongest with my students. And I see how engaged mm-hmm. they are in the classroom and how they want to be included in the conversations about topics that are happening outside their classroom walls. So was this something that developed once you started teaching and once you started to see just just learn more in the schools? It was definitely something new. I would say that my my first attempt was really focused on social and emotional learning. I did a master's research project mm-hmm. on developing emotional vocabulary with my students, like being able to express how you're feeling and name more specifics so people can better help and support you. But because I informally looped with the same group of kids for three years, we just had developed so much trust And I really wanted to see how they could take a lot of the concepts we were talking about within our classroom and apply them to the outside world. 
Um, and so we started to look at things like stereotypes and gender roles and norms and um, moved into bigger topics mm -hmm. like race and injustice. And it's really because the kids took to it so well. It gave me a lot more confidence in pursuing, I guess, more challenging topics. Um, but the kids have always right. really responded well to it. That is so interesting. I mean, can you explain how you first started to infuse these topics into your teaching? Sure. What did it look like? Yeah. So the very first unit I did was around gender stereotyping. I taught second grade and it was really a result of a lot of the things that I was hearing on the playground comments like, oh, girls can't do this or that's not for boys and really wanting to address those types of comments very explicitly. So it was a, mm -hmm. around Halloween. And so I took a bunch of toy catalogs that had like Halloween costumes and other things in it and asked my students to cut out everything in the magazines and sort them based on what they thought was for boys and girls. And granted, like this was also, oh my goodness, like six or seven years ago. So my language around gender identity has definitely changed a lot. Um, I definitely don't view it as, as much of a binary anymore, but they sorted everything into mm -hmm. what they thought were categories for boys and girls. And we talked about different trends that we saw and they were able to generate questions. And it was really cool to also infuse it into other aspects of our curriculum. So it wasn't like a, a standalone lesson of the day, but mm -hmm. we were reading and studying fairy tales and folk tales. And there are a lot of gender stereotypes yeah. in those stories. And so also in writing, we were doing persuasive writing. And so they were able to write to different toy companies and stores like Target and ask, why are you marketing things specifically towards boys or girls? Mm -hmm. And even within mathematics, um, able to look at the way that certain products were marketed differently towards men and women. Like why is a pink razor $9, but a razor marketed towards men is $6. And we're able to yeah. look at some of those discrepancies too. So it was really cool to see how we could take these lessons and shift our lens um, and apply it to the work that we were already doing in class. Yeah. And this was for the second grade class? Yep. Second grade. I cannot believe like it's first of all, I wish we were taught this. I like when I was at this age. And second of all, a lot of people wouldn't give second graders that much credit to be able to do the things that you've had them do. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I think kids are always underestimated. And I mm -hmm. think adults tend to forget what it's like to be a kid and mm -hmm. also tend to forget that kids are exposed to everything that adults are exposed to. Yeah. So when you make the assumption that kids don't care about something or aren't interested, you're making that decision for them. But if you ask them what questions they have about certain topics, they usually have something to say. Yeah. And I'm sure you've learned so many lessons from your students, but can you share things that were surprising? Have you ever been caught off guard by things that your students have said? And you're like, oh. I have been off guard with honestly just how perceptive and how kind and how much they notice particularly mm. from moments like even outside of you know structured lessons when they just blow me away with how empathetic they are um like <laughs> mm -hmm. a couple of years ago I had a particularly rough breakup and still had to like come to school and teach the next day and I started crying in the middle of class um which was really <laughs> oh. embarrassing but then at recess one of my students made a card for me without me knowing and had all the kids in the class sign it and they gave it to me at the end of the day. That's so sweet. <laughs> so I think like when you when you can teach kids about things like empathy and kindness like it's really incredible to see what they pick up on and how they take it and run with it on their own. I love that so much. 
Do you have advice for people who have like younger kids in their life, like how to empower those kids or how to open up or start those conversations? I like to do everything from an inquiry-based perspective. So when we start a new topic, the first thing I always ask them is, what do you think you already know about this topic? If it's race, if it's gender, if it's about government Mm -hmm. or religion or anything like that, because I want to know what their background knowledge and experience is. And I also want to know what kind of biases they're bringing into the conversation too. So we can kind of get all of that out within like our first Mm -hmm. lesson session. And then the second thing I ask them is what questions do you have? Like what wonderings? And it's really, really powerful to student for students to take ownership of their learning and the direction in which we go in the classroom based on what they're naturally curious about. And I think it makes a much bigger impact than if I were to decide, okay, today we're going to study this, we're going to read about this, we're going to learn about this. And while that Mm -hmm. might, okay, definitely does Mm -hmm. create a little bit more work for teachers, I think it also prevents teachers from being accused of teaching with a lot of bias and a lot of slant or projecting their own agenda onto young kids. Um, Because in this case, like the kids are coming up with the questions, like they're the ones Mm -hmm. who are directing their learning. But for parents, like if you're not even a classroom Mm -hmm. teacher, just starting to engage with your kids by asking them what they know about something Take a look mm-hmm. at what they're watching. Take a look at what they're reading. Ask them questions to see if they're making certain connections. Um, because students are often just young kids are picking up on the same types of language. And we also, I think, take for granted that we that students and young kids know what certain things mean just because they hear yeah. it over and over again. Yeah, super interesting. So first, ask them what they think they know and then what they want to learn. Yep. And that's really it. And then after that, it's a lot of compiling resources and trying to find like developmentally appropriate ways for them to seek the answers to their own questions. Awesome. Let's talk about anti-bias because even as an adult personally, I feel like everybody is biased. So what exactly do you teach and how do you know this stuff? Sure. The first thing I think we need to do when we approach bias is recognize, just like you said, everybody has bias. It's really funny because I do a lot of adult education now with educators and families. And pretty much at most trainings, like somebody will usually say, well, like I don't have biases. Well, (laughs) bias is actually like our our common denominator. Like no matter what your identity is, like you've got biases and they come from all different places. And what matters the most is when you recognize that you have them, what do you do with them? And so in certain cases, we are able to take a look at students' biases just by that first question, like, what do you think you know about a particular topic? One that I really like to use every year with my Mm -hmm. students is Chimamanda Adichie's TED Talk, Danger of a Single Story. And in that, she talks about her experiences growing up in Nigeria and these interactions she had with college roommates and like what they thought about her because she was from Africa. Like they, in her talk, she says like her college roommate was shocked that she knew you know, who Mariah Mm -hmm. Carey was and knew how to work a stove just because she had been fed this single, very deficit-based narrative about people from Africa. So after watching that talk and before we were studying like the history of enslavement in the United States, I asked my students, what do you think you know about Africa? And everything they listed, like Mm. uh, they're wild animals, people live in huts, like everyone's really poor, like there aren't very many cities. But then the follow-up question was, how many of you have ever actually been to Africa? And none of them had. So we had to think about, all right, where are we getting Mm -hmm. all of these messages and images from? And they talked about news stories and they talked about movies that they had seen. And then I was able to show them all of these incredible images of the diversity of the continent and how different people look and the architecture and cities and things like that. And their minds were just blown because that was something that they had never been exposed to before. I love that. 
Yeah, no, that's so cool because the first thing is accepting and admitting that you don't know everything and trying not to make assumptions, right? Yeah, and that can be really hard because also kids, I find especially young kids, really revert back to very binary ways of thinking like something is either Mm -hmm. this or it's that and it's often hard to acknowledge those nuances. And what do you do when a kid has a very like strong belief because their parents instilled a certain belief in them. I'm sure this happens, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I had a student <laughs> the other day who was yelling at the top of her lungs about how much she hated Hillary Clinton. Oh my gosh. It's <laughs> fascinating for a couple of reasons. Yeah, like how does how she did know? know? Um, she's yeah. a, a third grader, which means that at oh the time gosh. of the last election, she was like four. <laughs> so you're you can definitely tell from then that there are certain messages that she's picking up at home or from other people in her life who are expressing these opinions. And in my class, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about, you know, free speech and everybody has the right to, you know, their own opinions and beliefs. But in my class, like if you're going to make certain statements, like you have to be able to back it up also. Mm-hmm. So kids are coming in with particularly biased beliefs or, you know, stereotypical beliefs about a person or a group of people. The first thing I just ask is, where did you get that idea from? Yeah. You know, like what messages are you getting? Did you watch a movie? Did somebody say this to you? And to present different perspectives to push their thinking. Like, I'm not going to ever tell them like, you're wrong. That's the wrong way to think. Don't think that because I don't think that this work is ever about telling anyone what to think. It's about developing Mm -hmm. critical thinking and to consider different perspectives that you might not have considered before. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so usually do you feel like you do make progress and the kid opens up? Yeah, I think so. It, I think the challenge is that it can just take more time because sometimes those conversations with kids are really hard to have in a whole group. Everybody wants to chime in. Yeah. Everybody starts, you know, raising their voice. Yeah, so do you do it in a group or is it one-on-one? Uh, it depends. Often it'll happen in a group because that's where the original comment will come out. Um, usually right. it will require a one-on-one check-in later on, especially if it seems like the majority of the class is coming down really harshly on one person. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about this and what you teach is so like it should be applied to adults today <laughs> do you know what I mean oh, yeah, not absolutely. just for second and third graders everyone but for <laughs> everyone right to just check themselves like why do I believe I'm all about it <laughs> thank you well I mean it's true and a lot of the adult education I've been doing more this year is for teachers it's for parents and family members and pretty much like if you're not in a, a book club or you have a, a crowd of friends who like to talk about social issues, or if you're not like enrolled in college or graduate school, like when are you going to talk about these exactly? Things? Yeah. Who do you ask questions to? Mm-hmm. Hi, loves. Let's take a break and talk about how to make 2020 your best year. As an artist of life, you have the power to envision and create the life you've always wanted. So as we enter a new decade, seize this opportunity to take action towards your dreams in 2020. To guide your year, I created the 2020 Artist of Life Workbook, a journal filled with 125 pages of questions and exercises to help you self-reflect, clarify your vision, set goals in all areas of your life, execute your goals, and track your progress monthly. With sections on self-love, overcoming fear, habit tracking, gratitude journaling, and more, the Artist of Life Workbook keeps you accountable and guides your growth throughout the year. It's a tool to keep you inspired, motivated, and organized, helping you live your best life. All the exercises within have personally helped me change my life for the better, and I'm confident that they'll do the same for you. To get started, go to shop.lavendaire.com to get your copy of the 2020 Artist of Life Workbook. Again, that's shop.lavendaire.com. 
I'm sure that you also get pushback from parents on what you teach. So how do you deal with that? And how do you approach communicating with like students versus their parents and adults? Sure. So the first thing is that I don't actually believe in asking for permission to talk about diversity or issues Mm. of social justice. I think that when you ask for permission, it somewhat implies that there's something wrong with talking about these things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I absolutely believe in transparency, like families and parents 100% um, have the right to know what is being talked about and what is being taught in their child's class. Um, And whether or not you like it, like it's going to come home because the kids are going to share bits and pieces. And wouldn't you prefer for the family members to know like the whole story rather than like the the little snippet that gets brought up at the table? And so with certain topics, I'll send home communication through email or through newsletters about what we'll be discussing in class. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really important to involve family members as participants in learning. So I like to also give a lot of resources and books and recommendations of how parents can also continue the conversation at home, too. So also the kids can see that all adults in their lives are engaging in these topics. It's not Mm -hmm. just something for school. Amazing. Um, There has been some pushback, and interestingly, it's been the same topic for the same reason. What topic? It has been around gender expression and identity, and always the pushback comes from a place of religious beliefs, Mm. which is often really hard to have a conversation about, like when it's embedded in morals. Yeah. um, It can be a little tricky. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you approach that? Do you just agree to disagree or what happens to that child? Do they not, are they not part of the conversation or, you know? Yeah. I mean, the first time it happened was because we read a book called Jacob's New Dress. Um, It doesn't Mm -hmm. even say the words like non-binary or transgender. It's really just a book about a boy who wants to wear a dress. And Mm -hmm. a family emailed about it and said, like, in the future, we would like our child to sit out of this lesson. And honestly, it was kind of like, well, we already read the book. So it's already done. (laughs) But I think these days, having those conversations face to face, like not via email to try to understand the root of the concern, like, is it the topic itself? Or is your concern, you don't know how the conversation is going to be conducted. And I totally see that because you know, you can be having conversations about these really important topics like, you know, gender identity and, you know, religious intolerance and racism. But if you do it really poorly, it can definitely inflict a lot more harm and damage in the long term. So I totally get that perspective. But I think because I live in Los Angeles and I've also worked Mm -hmm. in a very progressive and inclusive environment, explaining to the parents that it's really about honoring students and their identities first. And we do have students at our school who identify in lots of different ways. We have parents and family members who identify in these ways. And we also have staff as well. So if it's really a matter of you wanting your child to be immersed in just the beliefs that reflect your household, like that's fine, but recognize that you are choosing to engage in this community as well. Mm -hmm. And because you're choosing to be here. I worked at a charter school, so they did have choice. You have to also determine if this is right for you too. Mm, I see. Yeah. How do you feel about a child who has parents who are like over controlling about what they learn and what they're exposed to? Because ultimately as a parent, you can't, you can't control what your child is exposed to. It's just, that's the world. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm not a parent myself, but if it were my child, I would want to have the ability to set up that conversation myself and have an understanding of 
what's being talked about, give them enough background information so they're not learning about these issues in isolation. And the big Mm -hmm. question that I've been asking resistant adults lately has been like, if your kid had like racist beliefs, sexist beliefs, like, wouldn't you want to know about it? Like, wouldn't you Mm want to know in order to do something? Like, I don't think any parent would want to get that phone call when their kid is 16 saying they you know, said a racial slur, said something homophobic in school. And then your reaction is, well, my kid doesn't do that. Like, where did they get that from? Well, probably because you Mm -hmm. weren't having the conversation, which isn't the same thing as, you know, addressing it. Right, right. Awesome. So let's talk about the book that you're currently working on. Can you tell us what the book is about? And why do you want to write it? Sure, I'm super excited about it. It's through Heinemann Publishing. Um, It's a publisher that works primarily for teachers. And the premise of the book is centered around all of these different barriers or kind of excuses that educators use to not engage in issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, if it's race, gender, religion, Mm -hmm. um, disability, anything like that. And so about Two years ago, I put out a question on social media and asked teachers, hey, if you want to be involved in this work, but you're not, what's stopping you? And from these hundreds of responses I got, I was able to kind of sort them into 10 or so categories, Mm. um, which ended up forming the themes of each chapter. So each chapter stands alone. And Uh. so, for example, one is about, like, I want to do this work, but parents are really resistant, as we were talking about, or my administration is unsupportive, or all of my students are white and no one in my community seems to care except me. Like, what do I do? Mm. So it's really based in real life examples. And the purpose of it is also to be very constructive and proactive. Like it's not, not all talk. It's not all theory, but drawing from success stories um, from my own practice and the practice of other educators I've interviewed for this book. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I like that. It's what blocks people, but how to not let that stop you. Yeah. And I think there are things in it that even if you're not a teacher, even if you're, you're not even with kids, I think could be useful. Like there's an entire chapter based around teachers fears of not knowing how to respond if somebody says something problematic. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a fear that a lot of adults have too. Right. We all deal with that. And let's talk about the power of social media because I found you on Instagram and I know that you post your curriculum and things like that on social media. What inspired you to do that? And then what have you seen as a result of that? To be honest, I started my Teach and Transform Instagram page like a little over two years ago. And it Mm -hmm. was really because I was sure that most of my family and friends were tired of me posting about teaching and social justice on my personal basis. (laughs) Um, I wanted to compartmentalize a bit and also kind of build like a visual portfolio and also connect with people who are doing similar work. So I started sharing Mm -hmm. books that I was using and pictures of lessons that I did with my students and started to connect with other teachers from all over the country, like all over the world who were engaged and invested in similar work. Mm -hmm. I really never knew the power of social media until I've had this experience. Like I didn't know it was really possible to form a community with people who you've never met in real life. But I still talk to some of them like, daily, if not weekly, about what's going on in our lives and our own practice and what we're reflecting on these days. It's really incredible. And I think if you're a teacher who is operating a lot in isolation, it's very comforting to know that you're not alone. 
Mm. Yeah, so through social media, you've met other teachers who are doing the same thing. Do you guys have a sort of group that you're in now where you can share these lessons and ideas? Depends. I have I have a text thread going with Thule, who whose handle is Growing with Mixed Tea, and Ace, whose handle is Teaching Outside the Binary. They're both impressed. Like, say there's a teacher listening to this podcast who wants to get connected in, in this. How, how does she get involved? <laughs> oh, sure. On a lot of posts, like, you know, comments are usually open. A lot of posts, like, include, like, open-ended questions. Like, I love getting DMs of people who are also working in similar fields as well. I think, like, Mm -hmm. if you are going to be part of the community, it's also important to recognize when it's your turn to listen and just take in um, and when it's also your place to, to chime in and add your two cents. Yeah. What I love about what I see going on is previously before social media, teachers were kind of in isolation. They didn't have, I guess they had their school or people in their district to talk to, but now it's really like the internet has opened the doors where a lot of teachers from all over the nation or the world can see what you are doing and it inspires them as well. Because I don't know much about teaching. Is there like a standardized curriculum about what you teach? Not really, right? It depends where you teach, so what type of school, the state that you're in. Some states have certain standards for reading Mm -hmm. and for math. A lot of states are moving to common core state standards, but things like science and social studies are often determined by the state. Um, If you teach at a traditional public school or a charter school, like you are definitely more bound by standards. And if you work at an independent school, Mm -hmm. you can pretty much do whatever you want as long as it aligns like with your school. Very interesting. So question before I move on to the Facebook questions is, what is your advice for all of us to be better citizens of the world? (laughs) What main lessons would you want all of us to learn? I think spending time with yourself and really reflecting upon and unpacking your own identity and experiences is really, really important. I think in order to go out into the world and really engage with other people, it's really important to know yourself And sometimes that can be really easy for folks and sometimes that can be really challenging or painful, honestly. Mm -hmm. But I think that we are at a place in our our, our country, if not our world, where there's just so much divisiveness. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to engage with people across differences, recognizing how you enter certain conversations, what type of baggage you're bringing to the table is incredibly valuable before you start interacting with others. Right. It's all about self-awareness first. Yes. I have a couple Facebook questions. Alice asked, has a student ever brought up a topic or scenario that you didn't know how to address? Yeah, we've had conversations around death. If it's Mm. the loss of a family member or a pet. And it's interesting because when you start to talk about death, and I think this kind of just goes for conversations or topics that children are usually not included in they have even more to say because there's nowhere else for them to say it yeah um so when I had a student talk about the death of a family member I'm not even exaggerating like 15 kids wanted to talk about like their dead relatives or dead pets wow um and then of course inevitably it comes up like what happens when you die and depending on your religious faith or what your family believes everyone's coming in from a very (laughs) different perspective right but everyone's like talking over each other (laughs) Um, and some right. kids are like freaking out because their classmate is saying something it's they've all never different. even heard of or considered before. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but just kind of calming that situation saying, you know, depending on what your beliefs are, 
everybody thinks something different. Unfortunately, there really isn't oh, yeah. any way to tell <laughs> who's right or wrong. Right. And I think like that type of phrasing can be. Yeah, that's like the best answer you can give. Yeah, but certainly like a follow up to parents of like, hey, so this came up in class today in case it's brought uh, up at the dinner table. Wanting to respect all of you, like I obviously did not commit to one particular idea of, you know, death right. or the afterlife. But you might want to have a follow-up conversation with uh, your child. So yeah, that's definitely one where I've been a little stumped before. (laughs) No, that's a good one. Interesting. And then someone else asked, Mel asked, how do you approach topics like mental health? Oh, I actually start, and I, truthfully, I'm very transparent with this, about my own journey and my own struggles. Like I have talked to my students about having dealt with depression and anxiety. And then when we talk a lot about identity and differences, that some of those things are seen and some of them are unseen. And just because, you know, you can't tell what somebody's going through just by looking at them doesn't mean you can make the assumption that you know everything about them. Um, And that's where I think a lot of that empathy and perspective taking work is really, really important. You know, the idea of being unwell doesn't have to do with breaking your leg or having Mm -hmm. the flu. Um, But there are a lot of other things that manifest themselves for very different reasons, too. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. That's a good way to put it. So now I have some rapid fire questions that I ask all of our guests at the end of the show. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Okay. The first question is, what does your dream life look like? Reading a lot, like being in nature. If I could choose between like beach and like mountain cabin every other day, just reading with my friends. Um, hanging out (laughs) (laughs) no that's amazing yeah Yeah. (laughs) awesome what is one book or resource you recommend to everybody right now it would be Ibram X Kendi's newer book how to be an anti-racist I think it's a great combination Mm. of like narrative and history but also giving people ideas of what types of action to take in order to become like anti-racist citizens it's really good awesome and do you tend to read books in this like genre or like what type of books do you gravitate towards oh my gosh I read a lot of history and social sciences that's that's amazing my entire bookshelves my partner is not super thrilled with how many I <laughs> wow what is one habit that has changed your life saying no to things <laughs> Ooh, yeah that's a good one yeah not feeling obligated and I think with educators and people who work with kids in an industry of care at all it's very common to just want to put other people before you constantly and put your own yeah. needs in the back burner um, and recognizing that it's really important to create boundaries mm-hmm. and it's okay to say no and not have to feel bad about it oh yeah I think that's a huge lesson for teachers especially because you're so helpful and so giving you need to like have that boundary give back to yourself yeah and there's such a like a damaging narrative of like the teacher martyr you know it's always mm-hmm. for the kids like they always come first but you know what if you're sick and struggling like you're not going to be of use to anybody exactly I'm happy you brought that up so the next one is what's the best life or career advice you've ever gotten do what you have to do to do what you want to do mm. uh, my mentor teacher told me that one like there are sometimes just certain hoops that are really annoying that you have to jump through but if they're going to allow you to pursue what really matters to you then just get it done yep yep that's life <laughs> okay the last one finish the sentence the most amazing part about life is variety mm. that's a new answer yeah, i don't like things to stay the same <laughs> ah okay 
Awesome. And lastly, Liz, where can we find you online? I am by far the most active on Instagram. My handle is at teach and transform. I also have a website, teachandtransform.org. Um, and also have Twitter and Facebook accounts under the same name, but I don't use them nearly as much. Yeah, no, your Instagram is amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Again, I love the work that you do. Keep doing it. Keep doing you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. I hope you like that interview with Liz Kleinrock. And now I just want to share some takeaways from our conversation. The first takeaway is one of the most important things you can do is grow your self-awareness. Learn to be more aware of your own story, your own baggage, and your own biases because all of that affects your thinking. It affects your conversations. It just affects how you put yourself out into the world and interact with other people. So we are all biased in our own way the first step is admitting that you do have your own bias just based on how you were raised and the environment you grew up in things like that and awareness is really the first step to begin dismantling this old thought patterns or these old biases that you may have the second takeaway is to always question what you think you know because those may be biases so don't make any assumptions what you think you know may be wrong so go into conversations with an open in mind and seek to learn and understand first never assume that you know everything about a topic or that you are right and someone else is wrong because it's never black and white the last key takeaway i got from this conversation is that kids are much smarter and have more to say than we give them credit for we should empower our youth rather than dismissing them and i think so often we dismiss kids because we think they don't know anything or they're too young But really, I remember being a kid, if you think back on when you were a kid, even when you're in second or third grade, you already have an idea of the world, how things work, and you're already pretty tapped into pop culture, mainstream media. You know what's going on. You know what people are talking about. So yeah, just don't dismiss kids and really empower them and encourage them to have more of these open conversations about social justice and important issues. All right, that's it for today's podcast. Sending you all so much love and I will talk to you next time. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Lavender Lifestyle. If you like this podcast, please show your support by leaving a review on iTunes. Lastly, you can catch me on YouTube and Instagram at Lavender, where I have even more content for the artist of life. Sending you so much love. Bye.